Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. You're late. Don't let it happen again. Jessica Jones, episode 106, a.k.a. You're a winner! It's brought to you by Sissy Snacks. Little Debbie, who's boss, on a three-to-five stretch. Yum, yum, yum. Well, that, Pete, I know that we will be announcing our third and final winner of the iTunes review uh, contest that we've been running a little bit later in the episode. But right now, it's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode? Episode with a voiceover by Malcolm talking about the kind of freedom that he experienced under Kilgrave uh, and his control there. There was no guilt, fear, or logic. You just did what you told. Um, and then we see a match lit, and Kilgrave tells a rather intimidating looking gentleman if you light that thing, cigar there, uh, he'll make him put it out in his eye. And uh, the gentleman doesn't seem to believe him, but he makes him put it out into his drink instead. I like that here in these two scenes, we essentially kind of have uh, we have uh, Kilgrave served twice, if you will. We kind of have the after effect, obviously, with Malcolm describing that 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 sense to be under his spell. And then we see some some tough looking dudes with what we can assume is a high end uh uh, poker game so this isn't yep. quite you know the back alley gambling but this is also you know people who don't want to hop in the car to go to a connecticut uh, uh casino or that sort and the whole interplay in this scene of they're kind of resisting him when it's not an order but then they do it but then immediately uh the guy who by the way pete looks suspiciously like butch on gotham um <laughs> Is kind of like I don't know what happened back there, but now we're going to play it again. You know, now we're going to play again, and uh, obviously it doesn't doesn't go well for uh, for that gentleman. Yeah, I I love the intercutting of uh, Kilgrave having all the women in the room tell these guys that they have balls, so that they put everything in, and when he produces a hand that consists of a deuce and a seven. The worst hand ever, and they all fold, and he wins just over a million dollars here. Um, it's it's a delicious scene to see the the kind of non carnage manipulation that uh, Kilgrave is capable of. Until uh, the one guy there uh, tries to confront him and tells him, uh, you know, you're going to give us a chance to win our money back. And then, what do you know, Harvey slams his head into the post seven times. And, I mean, certainly just a, a horrific reminder that Kilgrave can can have people turn on a dime. Um, by the way, speaking of a dime, it was probably about ten grand that he tipped the pit, pit uh, boss lady, uh, yeah. or the, the hostess, or whatever the proper term would be for underground high-stakes Manhattan poker playing. Um so there's a weird altruism to Kilgrave. Um, I like that we get to spend so much time with this this revolting and awful villainous character. Um, say more time than we had spent at this point with um, with uh, the Kingpin in Daredevil. Um, 
I also, I mean, again, it's this weird, like, David Tennant is so charming, and when he brings that kind of goofy energy of, boys, this will be a story you'll dine out on for years, telling the tale of how you lost the big game, like, it's such a charming story, but we've also just seen, you know, essentially well-meaning people who know the 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 highs and lows of gambling who have now just been taken unfairly to the cleaners. Right. It's, it's his, it's Kilgrave's charm misplaced, even though David Tennant is doing a wonderful job here. Um, With that, Pete, the story goes on to, uh, I guess it's essentially back to Malcolm. It's kind of a, of an, an extended intercut. And I think it's an opportunity for the story to just say he is not magic. It's some other kind of, power but it's not magic because we'd never do magic in marvel <laughs> yeah and and what malcolm is talking about the the beauty of what kilgrave does is nobody knows how he does it but uh jessica doesn't care how he does it she only uh cares about uh where she can catch him so and- is there a new favorite bar is he catching movies at the nighthawk where is he um, you have to know something, Malcolm. By the way, a quick Google search revealed uh, that the Nighthawk is actually a pretty uh, upscale movie theater in Brooklyn. So that that would be where the cool people are going to to have food while they eat and do cool Brooklyn-y things. But Pete, we're not going to spend the entire episode in this apartment. Knock, knock, who's the door? Again, the uh, the use here to have the, the, the frosted glass... Uh, for her front door it's right. um it's interesting in that it, it 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 lets us not always know who's there but have a sense of who's there it kind of appears to be uh to be luke but then that immediately comes with the threat of but has he been killgraved right and with malcolm now um in charge of his faculties his concern for jessica and everything that goes on there when uh she ignores Malcolm's uh, concern and opens the door we see that Luke has uh, a torn uh, shirt on and shoulder we later see it is torn at the uh, the center of his chest as well so uh, there is some concern but not for him but rather who he's been around uh, indeed, and I had initially hoped, ooh, maybe this will be, they'll do some kind of fancy storytelling where we're going to only find out where he came from when Luke Cage comes to Netflix later in 2016. But as cool as that would have been, uh, I kind of like that it's very clear Luke is here to hire her. He wants her to find someone. And uh, she, of course, is ready to refer Luke to someone else, but he wants her Angela to handle Angela Del Toro, Matt, she got reasonable rates. And you know what? For as as, though she has a good reputation, Angela Del Toro does. Is she going to be fast and discreet and give that little bit of extra, Pete? She's not. Anyhow, Pete, the main focus of this case is certainly made clear here that uh, Luke wants Antoine Greer found. Yeah, and a lot of people injected into this episode from a from a guest perspective you know you you mentioned Antoine Greer and you know a lot of the other people will bring in here um for as loaded as this episode is on issue it seemed even more loaded on characters uh explain that because I certainly know where we're headed issue wise in in what is unquestionably the most real world issue oriented 
offering of <laughs> Marvel film or television ever, at least thus far. Um, I, the, 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 the character statement doesn't jump out at me, though. So please explain. Antoine, Cirque's the Lone Shark, Sissy, the the gentleman with the home whose name we never get, Charles Wallace. It, it just felt like it was <clears throat> character, 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 character. Um, and, you know, you, you get it from a perspective that we, we've got to bring people in to uh, highlight per, per certain parts of the story. Um, but it it felt like they were stuffing the box a little too much on top of the stories okay. we have for Jessica and ultimately her reveal that she killed Reba Connors for Hope and what she's going through for Hogarth and her impatience of the story felt like a lot of a lot of stuff to add this this Antoine story not a fan huh I uh, I well I guess we'll have to analyze as we go through. I hadn't been struck by it being kind of a preponderance of people. Um, I mean, here we are. We're we're in the neighborhood of the exact halfway point of the series. So the fact, I mean, I wouldn't call this a filler episode, but the fact that we're saying we're not going to have hope, yeah, you know, have the jury deliver the hope decision today. We're not going to have the Hogarth. And Dr. Mrs. Hogarth, uh, divorce resolved in this episode. Like, I felt like this was a good meaty way to to introduce some new characters and introduce kind of a, a quote-unquote story of the week. But uh, I guess we can hit on that as we proceed. But they're not characters that will stick around. They're characters that are in a one-off story. I mean, none of them are going to be anybody. And you can tell from from who they are. Um, that that they just exist. They're, they're story placeholders, and that's fine. You know, not every episode of this series could be a home run. And in the writers' room, what did this one say on the wall, Matt? It said, "Jessica reveals to Luke what happened with Reba." That's this episode. But you can't call this episode, aka Jessica killed your wife. <laughs> I, I suppose that's true. Um, something else I took away from this scene, and it's a point that we've mentioned in prior episodes, that you know, as as they are dancing around this idea of you know Luke wants to hire her because he knows her qualities, and then he's going to do it because the sister is looking for Antoine, Antoine's sister, not Luke's sister, of course. Then Jessica says, "Is the sister yours, i.e., Luke's?" Right. They're dancing around this flirtiness this wounded heart the all, all of that kind of i mean i'll call it romantic but i think it's it it's it's the downside to romance it's the heartbreak it's the uncertainty it's the it's the will they or won't they um mike coulter just sizzles here he has this it factor of like yeah you know ladies want to be with him and men want to be like him he just has that it factor and that's where bringing in these other characters but creating a little bit of mystery works for our characters works for our regulars you know what's up with Antoine and, and Serena what's going on there okay bring in the loan shark the little conversation that Luke just had with the loan sharks boys Antoine has not paid him back he's gone to ground we've, we've got a mystery here and, and that where we we move forward makes it effective 
Uh, as Luke leaves, Jessica's phone rings because we're certainly not fooling around with narrative efficiency in this episode. You know, the Malcolm conversation probably could go on for another 10 seconds. No, it's Luke at the door. And the Luke conversation is done. And the phone rings. Again, I'm not complaining. It's just they're, they're keeping things moving along here. Uh, I love her answer. She knows who's on the phone. I think we suspect just by the sarcasm of Jessica's answer. But if this is a booty call, I like your chances. And Pete, yeah. who's on the phone? <laughs> it's Jaron Hogarth. Uh, I I I don't know. I I liked a little bit of humor there. I mean, particularly since we're gonna we're gonna go down some uh, some deep and dark paths in this episode. So a little humor up front is appreciated. Uh, Hogarth, who's calling with information that Hope was attacked uh, and is in the infirmary, and um, I kind of like the little extra kind of unstated character moment there while Hogarth is on the phone. There is. Uh, there is uh oh shoot what's her special lady friend secretary's pamela. name pamela pamela i want to say angela i knew that wasn't Soon uh, to be hopeful uh catholic wife but um what i like the second with, the second mrs hyphenate hogarth yes but but what i like with with this character a semi-regular is that they haven't made it you know Oh, this is a another woman who's just going to come in and out of her life that that led to the dissolution of her marriage. That there's there's a tenderness here, and you know you boil it down with our characters in this episode, Matt. And this is completely about intimacy and identity, the things that people share with one another and who they really are. Well, and I mean that's the perfect setup for for the next two scenes. First, we're outside the the prison, you know, and uh, Hogarth has bribed a guard to find out that it was Sissy Garcia who done the beating, and uh, Hogarth has kind of done her her lawyerly bit. Now it's Jessica's turn. I think there's the implied wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go in there and get some get some answers. And you know, as you said, Pete, this discussion here of identity. Uh, something that uh, I'd like to pat myself on the back. I had kind of predicted, even though I thought that it was a little... I mean, the show had it out there to be predictable, but uh, first, Sissy won't talk until she gets her snack money. Sissy um, gotta get her snacks. And it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. Um, and, uh, you know, Jessica does the the fairly obvious, you know, no more beatings or I'll snap your hand off, but... Just like spoiler, Matt said, Local, Hope, man. Hope ordered the beating for herself and for that stiff prize of $50 and a pack of smokes. Yeah, with um, everything coming around here to find out that uh, she's pregnant. And it quickly turned from kind of amusing to to not. And, you know, it's definitely the time to put on our put on our our, our serious hats here. She says of the the child growing inside her, she can feel it growing like a tumor. Yeah. She says every second it's there, I get raped and raped again, which is, I mean, my goodness, if that's not telling you where the character's head is at, I mean, that's just a, an incredibly uh, profound and dark and and sad statement. Yeah, you know, following a scene with you know finger jokes about uh, you know relationships inside prison to have the the poignant and heartrending reveal here that she is pregnant with the child of a man who controlled her mind and whatever might result uh as uh you know it, it's scary 
It definitely is. And from a story point of view, I appreciate that they don't have her say the line, Kilgrave did this to me. This is Kilgrave's baby. Because I think it's such a it's such a horrific reveal that this 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 young woman who let's not forget is a college freshman um and and you know so young and all of that 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 i mean what we can understand is is a is a story affect a special power affect hop skipping to jump away from you know being a stand-in for true and genuine rape and now here she is pregnant with the result of that i mean it's 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 a very very raw presentation that they're giving and i mean i have to give kudos to the show that surely there was somebody at some point who said guys do we need to go this route can't we just have i don't know jessica punch through a brick wall or something do we have to go here and the show's going here and 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 it's to the credit that they're not shying away from from not only this notion but frankly that we're now going to be talking about abortion in a little bit yeah and you know apart from the uh idea that her she gets raped every time she she feels this uh you know that her parents are shot again for her that the beating was worth the risk that she'll do it again whatever it takes that she's not going to give life to this thing um you know it's a very mature discussion like this series within the marvel universe something we've we've not seen to this point and because this is a, a show, uh, along with with Daredevil, that is is uh, eager to soft pedal kind of the power thing, you know, it's not Agents of Shield where we're going to have special visual effects of lightning bolts being thrown and that sort of thing. It gives the opportunity here where we're not. At, at no point are we having discussion of, oh, well, what if the baby has superpowers too? Like, that's not where this story wants to go, and that's not where the flavor of this series lets us think about. It's We're, we're in the here and now in, in Hope's very, very awful uh, position, and, and I mean... <laughs> All of this from all of this from one scene, and and as I said before, you know we have we have more discussion in a bit about about all of this. We get back to the street here, and Jessica's narration takes over, talking about how someone missing as long as Antoine usually stays missing. She doesn't care; it's more billable hours. But this is Luke, and uh, because of his involvement, it's made it personal. Um when her alarm goes off here and she's got to send Kilgrave uh, a picture. And this is something that we ended the previous episode with and the idea of consent now, Matt, that she's doing this. She did it initially to keep Malcolm safe. We see Kilgrave in the cafe there who makes everybody be quiet and then he's scrolling through about a half dozen pictures that Jessica has sent him, some half smiling, some not at all. And that notion that, that we are not the day after the last episode we saw, that we're now five or six days later, uh, that brings this notion of consent into even greater focus. I think there's a certain, there's a certain immediacy to the end of the last episode where she says, well, I'm going to take this picture this time to keep Malcolm safe. 
and I'm going to I'm going to make this consented decision even though it's kind of without without desire, you know, and of course kind of all, all the metaphor that's possible there, but I'm going to make this decision anyway just to keep him happy. And then now we are close to a week later and it still is going on and it's it too is horrific and it too is also an opportunity for the show to be making a statement and kind of using the the affect of fiction to be kind of discussing some of this stuff without turning it into a a, a direct discussion of assault and battery and and, and all of that so i i appreciate the nuance the show takes here it's not preachy it's putting it out there and you see the effects you you see the the result of Kilgrave's involvement in these people's lives uh with that, we still do have this new case to go along with. And, and I, again, love that the show can rely on new cases to keep things moving along. Um, it, it's only raised my opinion of the series in relation to the already excellent Daredevil, just because we do get different flavors. And I'll take muscular businessman and and uh, Antoine. Like I'll take all of this to kind of en- enrich an episode before... You know what I assume is going to be next week returning to the Hope Hogarth Luke Cage overall storyline. But uh, with that, uh, Jessica is uh, entering an apartment building. Presumably, it's Antoine's. We get a shot where someone is watching her from a car, and Pete, someone is in the apartment. Tension, tension. But it's Luke. It's Luke, and you know, a little bit of discussion before they talk about hygiene, and she's using her detective skills here going through the trash the holy grail of pi work to find a bunch of pothead stuff um but then some lottery tickets and that he's the optimistic useful kind of stupid and she calls his cell phone to tell him he is a winner that he's won an xbox one product placement (laughs) he um or she rather does not have a ton of opportunities, or at least has not in these six episodes, for us to see a ton of kind of actual privatized stuff. You know, we've seen her kind of doing internet search montage and watch somebody for a long time montage or, or scenes of that sort. But I like here that we get her looking in the bathroom and saying, toothpaste, toothbrush, deodorant, all gone. Kidnappers don't care for hygiene. He's left on his own. Same thing with searching for the garbage there, getting little clues on on how to how to get an angle on this guy. I like that we get her actually doing some some PI stuff here. And the real world idea that they have actually gotten people who are delinquent on child abuse or other cons to show up for prizes. There was a story about four or five years ago, Ozzy Osbourne actually got very upset. Because for years in Southern California, they were getting felons to show up to claim Ozzy Osbourne tickets. <laughs> wow. And, and, you know, under false pretenses, which, you know, he had a little bit of a beef, you know, use air supply or somebody else. <laughs> I actually remember, I think it was also in Florida, but there was some there was some mob sting thing. This might be 20, 25 years ago, but. A whole bunch of mob guys, you know, unbeknownst to each other, they got a they got a, a prize that had been that was going to be awarded by the TV station 
W-G-G-Y. And if you show up at such such a time, you're going to get whatever the prize was. So they all show up. Boom, it's the FBI. You're under arrest. P-S-W-G-G-Y stands for We're Gonna Get You. <laughs> it's great. You know, so this stuff works. It's it's This little stuff works. I mean, not for nothing, if you got, you know, like, wouldn't you call back for the Xbox One? Absolutely. If anybody wants to call me, I'll, I'll give you the number and you can tell me if I want an Xbox One and I'll show up. <laughs> Well, with that, uh, from winners to losers, they're outside the apartment, and the people that had been watching uh, Jessica go in are ready to to beat her up. Um, Some easy displays of the power that she and Luke uh, have. Turns out Luke uh, cautioning her not to display it in public, which is an aspect to this point in the series that's come up once or twice, but being shrewd about their gifts conceal don't feel as some would say pete um but it turns out that the the uh the lackeys are there with their bearded boss man who i don't think ever gets named but he is he does he, he does. does that's circus ah yes of course or circus um but uh he's just a businessman who wants his money luke wants to find antoine hey let's come up with a deal here jessica's gonna get five percent of the missing money and hey now pete it's a real case yeah, so let's go on a motorcycle ride. <laughs> uh, not a not a metaphor, although uh, he does have a sweet har- a Harley and a spare helmet there. And Pete, she's got to hold on tight. And I love the great use up. The, there's two close ups yeah. uh, uh, of her uh, of her hands there. I mean, necessarily needing to hang on to him, but it's also it's also speaking to matters of the heart. Before they get on the bike, she gets the helmet from him and he tells her it's the law. And that's something that towards the end of the episode, he th- th- their roles reverse. Uh, he nearly forgets about the law blind in his rage there. Um, but it's that clasping and unclasping of the hands. Quick, but intentional and, and really well done in the direction of this episode. Also well done is keeping that pace up. They arrive at her building. What's next? She's going to go in to dig about uh, Antoine on uh, online. Uh, as she goes out, or as she goes in, rather, Malcolm comes out, and uh, he's he is sweet and genuine in how he is trying to make sure Jessica is safe from Luke, knowing better than almost anyone else, Malcolm does what what Kilgrave can get you to do. And it's a spot in the story where Malcolm can hint at and and try to ascertain whether he knows about Kilgrave. And this is how Luke finds out about Kilgrave. With that, we cut to uh, Jessica calling Hogarth and she gives Pam a ration of crap. And Hogarth, in her anger, reveals that she wants to spend the rest of her life with Pam. Uh, by the way, Pete, I think they might need an HR waiver or something. I think this is starting <laughs> to approach a point where, uh, yes, Hogarth has her name on the uh, name on the office door, but uh, it might be time for some paperwork here. I don't know. And her, you know, repetition of Pam and her involvement in this that Jessica should be uh, smarter than to be mean. This is going to be somebody who, at least, Hogarth intends to make a fixture in her life uh even to the point of proposal um i like the addition in the scene 
that uh, it, it comes off as a joke, but I wonder if it's not more th- this notion that Pam wants to wait to, you know, until uh, only after uh, Hogarth has gotten the divorce. Pam is a good Catholic, mind you. I love kind of the little uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge there in terms of, uh, well, let's just say, Pete, I don't know that the church would approve of some of Pam's uh, uh, behaviors, but certainly, <laughs> certainly chastity, thumbs up there. I wondered, Pete, if that is something that in the future there might be something done with. I mean, whether it's Pam is a ringer or whether it's, I mean, it made me think of, uh, you know, Henry VIII and, uh, and, um, and Boleyn who would be, who would be flirty, but would not uh, consummate things until, uh, until, until marriage. So it makes me more interested in what they're going to do with Pam and the Pam might be more than just a tool by which we understand Hogarth. Yeah, but at the same time, I think she's been given layers where, okay, we we can understand the relationship. I'm not sure I completely believe Hogarth only because of the additional twists her character takes throughout this episode. Um, But it would seem that she's on the level here and and she's committing. (laughs) It's funny that for many a podcast episodes, you've said of Hogarth professionally that you don't, you know, like, like you trust her a whole lot less than I do. Not that either of us completely assume she's a villain or a hero. Um, on this, we've kind of have, have inverted. I take Hogarth a little bit less at her word here. I think that here's my read on Hogarth. Hogarth is a woman of of middle age. Pam is certainly younger than that. Pam does not mind wearing plunging necklines. And I think Hogarth is... Let me put it this way. I think that Pam's concern that Hogarth might, you know, enjoy a fun 6, 8, 10, 12 months with her and trips to the Caribbean and whatever. And when Hogarth is ready to move on, then Hogarth will move on. I think that is Pam's concern. and I think that that is valid. With that, Pete, we uh, cut to Jessica on the computer, as promised. Empty bottle of booze on her again, uh, on her desk again. With that, knock, knock, Pete, who's there? It's Luke again. <laughs> At least we're in a comfortable, comfortable spot here, especially with use of the frosted window panes. Yeah, it, it it's worn just a little bit, like to the point. All right, can he just come in? <laughs> can we can we find an, another way? It, it just felt. uh, repetitious in that sense but you know this this is the discussion before they're gonna have about the actual discussion and um you know everything there with uh you know that jessica is a is a hard drinking short fused mess but you know she's she's not a piece of garbage matt um when we know that her ultimate admission later in this episode is going to reverse how he feels about that. And it's a great, it, it, it's a great moment between the two. It does not smack of something being set up to be taken down later, which I think is a great credit to the scene. Um, with that, we cut to the next morning and uh, Pete, I guess bad news. It appears her bed is still intact. Um, <laughs> But the entire emotion of the scene, joking aside, um, or at least most of the emotion in this scene, is dependent on Mike Coulter's acting. Jessica is still distant and guarded, even post-intimacy, and that's how Kristen Ritter is playing it, and that's how she should be playing it. It's Luke 
who then has to, or Mike Coulter, who then has to have Luke show the emotion between the two. Luke stroking her arm, making his shoulder available for her to snuggle. It's it, it's really a remarkable job that he has to do by himself because the other actor in the scene can't go there because that's what her character requires. And to have Antoine's call interrupt that and have to get them to change their mode, really, and the additional mystery do they have do Antoine and Serena have Puerto Rican accents what's going on there to further pull us down that road and Pete it's at that point when we start to get some uh, exposition here helping explain things again it's kind of almost hidden amongst everything else going on in the episode that we're going to actually wander on back to some familiar story territory later on but uh serena antoine's sister has mta info that's uh pete you want to explain what the mta is for those outside new york yes that is the metro transit authority buses subways etc we've dealt a little bit with them before with the um the, the gentleman, uh, the, the ambulance driver, and there was some idea of, a, of an MTA cover-up floated back then. And uh, indeed, Serena has some MTA info about the non-accident that kills uh, Luke's wife. That killed Luke, Luke's wife. Uh, Serena's leveraging that info to get Antoine found. Um, and there's reference to the corner of 8th and 14th, Pete, the site of the accident. Where it took place, and then we're... In a flashback with uh, Jessica clad in the mink there, um, using an axe to get into a foundation to find something. Reva is there watching as well with Kilgrave. There's a box which she digs out with her bare hands and opens. Matt hands Kilgrave a tiny yellow object. I kind of read the object to be likely a thumb drive, although I I certainly can't say for sure from from what I saw. Not a really tiny gold bar? uh, Probably not, although although maybe it is gold. Maybe Kilgrave loves gold. Um, He's not Dutch. Well, (laughs) Pete, maybe I was alone in this, but I did not immediately recognize Riva as Riva. and maybe that's just a failing on my part, but I think the fact that the show does not go out of their way to immediately identify her inside the warehouse is all the better because when they walk out, you realize that you've seen the rest of this scene already. Um, so whether you're uh, a bit in the dark like me or whether you're uh, whether you're you know ahead of the game here, as uh, Spoiler Pete is, it, it's a nice reveal regardless and one that certainly uh, you know that that uh, cuts deep. With that, Pete, with the flashback over, hey, Jessica's been thinking about this flashback for far too long. It's uh, it's 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 10 a.m. She hasn't sent the picture. And you almost wonder here if Serena had the thing that uh, they dug up. Was was that going to come into play just yet? But um, they they won't find out until they find Antoine. Is this video? Is it um, an eyewitness? Whatever it is, you got to hand over her brother to get the proof. But she does know what Luke can do. So there's that threat 
And whether these are formerly inhumans or some other type of enhanced people, we know of the controversy swirling around them in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, with uh, with that, Jessica gets her, her 10 a.m. picture sent off a little bit late. And I... I wondered what the reaction would be. I mean, that certainly is the focus of that entire scene. And just the notion that she's not, uh, she's told not to do it again. That's when I said, oh boy, this is going to happen again. Probably not this episode, but we're setting ourselves up for, for a consequence in the future. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to watch that play out. The, the photo that's sent is an interesting one there. The smeared mascara, um, you know, these these photos looked at as a collage, there's certainly a study in character. Indeed, and with that, uh, leaving the building, Malcolm sees her and justifies telling Luke about Kilgrave, and uh, Jessica tries to push him away. And I, again, I buy Malcolm's earnestness so much. This is the first episode where we are actually seeing Malcolm. You know, somebody who is who is clean and free and 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 stable, and uh, turns out he's a nice guy. Turns out that's kind of the the guy that we got to read on in the first episodes. Uh, you know, despite his addiction, you know, the underlying character is there. So hats off to Ika Darville who kind of was able to imbue uh, the nice Malcolm in the in the clouded and addicted and troubled Malcolm. Definitely, but Jessica's got a real point when she says that you don't get to decide who knows my history. So the idea of consent, uh, whether it be sending these photos, whether it be who knows what, it's, you know, these, these are big questions that this episode poses. And I think that's why I take such umbrage at the, the, the bit type of characters, the lone shark the pot-addled missing person um, that that pop up. Well, I mean, you mentioned the notion of consent. With that, we cut to the hospital where what is quickly revealed to be, uh, through, through dialogue, uh, a pill that will abort the baby uh, is revealed, and Jessica is, is the one explaining it. We kind of see Hogarth in the background there. And mid-exposition, mid-explanation, it's going to make her sick for eight hours. And gulp, hope is more than happy right. to to undergo eight hours of sickness and undergo the 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 change in her body and all of that in order to to terminate this pregnancy with without even having heard the whole the whole downside of it. She's ready to commit to it nonetheless, which which is a statement in and of itself. It is, and to have her repeatedly want it to work quickly, and um, Jessica telling she's going to get uh, Hogarth's ex to sign these papers here, um, even if she has to dangle her off a ledge, but she needs Hogarth to stay with Hope, which is where that pretty interesting twist comes later in the episode. Indeed, and certainly something that we'll uh, we'll get to in due course. Uh, next, Pete, a scene the likes of which we have not seen uh, in this show thus far. Kilgrave is trying, largely unsuccessful, or at least Kilgrave through his normal means, is unsuccessful in trying to talk this man into selling his house. And the man says no repeatedly uh, to the point that Kilgrave ups his offer from 600000 to uh to over a million dollars. 
What's interesting here, though, is he's not using his powers. He says he's used to saying whatever he wants, and it happens. And here, he refuses to do something. He says, I want to show you something, and he gives him uh, you know, the bag with $1.26 um, million, and uh, it's in exchange for the beautiful home that you know, he wanted to... Uh, be in some place so uh, unconventionally normal. You know, Pete, I had not read that scene as such. Um, however, I think that you are probably right. I, I mean, certainly his wording was different. I thought that he had reached a point where he was a bit more forceful and we had crossed over from... from no. From never un- happens. Unpowered he's, to powered. Okay, I, I would I would certainly buy it that way. I would certainly yeah, he would. said that you know he's he's used to saying things and they happens that that it spoils you, Matt. Um, and you know the other guy gets sarcastic. He says, "What a burden!" But no, he doesn't use his powers here. So whatever he wants with his home, he wants to earn it in an in a normal way. And with the reveal at the ep- end of the episode that this is on, you know, uh, Birch Street and Higgins Drive, that this is Jessica's childhood home, that he has some plans to return her here, and that he doesn't want to cheat for this, that he wants it to be real, playing house or whatever he plans to do, which we'll talk about in our theory segment a little bit later. But again, kind of a, a little bit of a... Um a return to this theme of consent. You know, he wants this 100 consented, uh, 100% consented upon. Um, so just interesting how that keeps above board buying. He said he, he doesn't want any sellers remorse, Mm. but if they do this transaction, the one condition is he's got to be out by the end of the day tomorrow. And I mean, who wouldn't sign for double what your home is worth? So of course we know where that's going to go. With that, we cut to the meeting uh, going on with the person who has Antoine's phone. You know, the meeting for the for the Xbox, and uh, it was a slightly weird moment where like Jessica's early, oh, and Luke's early, and the guys there early, and therefore he's leaving early, and everybody's leaving early. What a team! <laughs> it's just like the BK Express, man. Everyone leaves early. <laughs> um. But with that, he's off. He takes a taxi. The mysterious non-Xbox One winner does. Uh, they bike on over. Jessica yanks the lock off of you know yet another edge of New York City warehouse where bad things happen. Sweet Christmas trees. That's <laughs> good herb. Indeed, it's 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 the herb from top to bottom. It's it's the marijuana's um, and oregano uh, plant. Listen, I think that it's clear that Antoine just wants to open up a a pizza toppings business, and this is all just being kind of blown out of proportion. But uh, with that, why else would you have two uh, big pit bulls there? I I love that Luke jumps in, sharp teeth. This is kind of my specialty, and and we don't see him dealing with the dogs, but you get it. Okay, impenetrable skin. Of course, he's going to take them on. Pete points to the show here because it makes sense to have 
dogs in such a warehouse. It makes sense to have a story thing which will temporarily separate Luke from our main character. Um, but not for nothing. I mean, let's just say what it is. He probably kills those two dogs, no, right? No, he said, he said later on he didn't. Yeah, which is what you say to, to, <laughs> your, to your sometimes special bedtime lady, as well as the audience at home who's not going to be sympathetic at all. But, like, I, I don't know. To me, it's like hats off to the show that you didn't even have the yipe, yipe. Like, no, you, I, I believe – Mike Coulter's Luke Cage when he says, I don't hurt dogs. I believe that that is in his nature too. I think it's a little, you know what? Look, if he was able to just, I don't know, while they're trying to gnaw on his, on his uh, arm, he just gives him a little tickle or whatever. And, uh, I don't know, maybe he has the special power of dog hypnotism. That's new to the (laughs) new to the TV show. (laughs) (laughs) You will go lay down quiet. Anyhow, I, I I appreciate how it was handled off screen at the very least because I can't imagine it went very well for the dogs. And when uh, you know the the Xbox guy, <laughs> we never get a name on, uh, is is looking for the the dogs. Matt, did you catch the dogs' names? Myers and Kruger. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that's what I would name my my <laughs> drug Pitbulls. guard dogs. Uh, it, you know, I'd name them too after uh, so, horror movies. So that movie. we're we're clear on the reference for anybody that doesn't understand. Matt, why don't you explain? Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger are horror movie bad guys who uh, oftentimes rip apart the opposition, much as a Doberman might. Michael Myers of the Halloween franchise and uh, Freddy Krueger of the Nightmare on Elm Street, not Birch Street series. That's a different nightmare. <laughs> this is true. Nightmare on Birch Street, indeed, is uh, is probably where we're headed. I don't mean to say it's so, so jokey, but... Um... Pete, it turns out uh, it's not just uh, Puerto Rican non-Xbox One winner. It's also Antoine. That was easy. And Pete, good news. He's not a bad guy. He's an entrepreneur. Right. And he was planning on putting this crop on the street. And then uh, Cirques shows up. And now we're going to renegotiate. And we have fights where Luke kind of holds off for a little bit on showing his powers and then decides I will single-handedly throw a pallet and then a table at you. Indeed, and I really like again how they keep doing these kind of low-tech fights here. Um you know, if you if you're going to build that table out of balsa wood and not, you know, hearty oak, Mike Coulter can probably throw it at a couple stunt guys. If you're going to, you know, hide a uh hide a wire to make it fly even farther it's one little wire you can light around that or erase it with computers whatever it might be uh it continues to kind of be this low take tech which uh which works for this show and frankly it kind of makes things makes fights like this a little bit more exciting because it's how are they going to use their environment not now he's going to hold on to his head while he shoots lasers from his brain you know and and I don't know it's a bit it's, it's a bit more relatable. And despite the choreography of the fight, it's another shot here Matt, slow motion, it's of Luke and Jessica's eyes meeting as she's leaving with Antoine that communicates everything you need to know in that scene. I 
I would agree, except to me, what was communicated was, you got this, I'll go take him. Um, although, uh, obviously, on second look, I don't think uh, Luke quite got that message because clearly what is uh clearly what's next which is uh jessica dropping off antoine with his sister she's trying to get that file first which becomes right. so so ap- apparent there by the way pete it's new york city so of course she's going to leave the apartment door wide open <laughs> because that just saves him knocking on a third door for this episode and when he takes the uh blue file there from serena that it's Charles Wallace, the alcoholic driver who was part of the MTA cover-up, that that information did not make his file, that uh, his brother-in-law was in the claims division and made it go away, and now it's a situation of a husband out for what he believes is vengeance for his wife's death. In addition to the tension of the scene, which is, is it is it going to say, you know, Jessica Jones killed your wife? And like, you know, what is the exact reveal going to be? As soon as that abates, I love how it gets replaced with this overwhelming sense of malice. It's, it's the cover up and it's the, it's the government and it's the bosses, man. And it's who, you know, and there's such malice there planting a story seed for when we meet Charles Wallace in a little bit. Um, and we can, we can get there in due course, but they're setting him up to be, this great villain and i'm certainly not not saying that he's not guilty of some of some some crimes namely that you know people were hurt while he was driving drunk i know it wasn't reva connor's herself but i like that they set him up to be such a bad guy in an episode that is about consent and we'll return to that in in a little bit but he's sobered up and that's where it works that luke throws this man who's made amends since the accident that he didn't even cause to um, get his life back in order and to do things right. And now it's Luke that's going to do the wrong thing. And Jessica has to stop him. And it's great casting and acting out of this actor that they've gotten for one scene to play Charles Wallace. He's an oddly penitent man. He's sympathetic. He, 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 he appears to be small in, uh, personality even though he's not you know he's not a wee fellow um again i'm certainly not i'm not saying oh let's give this guy a pass because the perception is people were killed while he was driving drunk even though kind of we know that wasn't the case um but it's also like this guy made a mistake and circumstances were such that he was given a second chance and now he has taken use of that. And and that's a completely sympathetic notion, regardless of the, the possibility of his crimes, which, Oh, by the way, we know did not reach full fruition in terms of drunk driver killed a woman. You know, that did not happen. So we're all the more sympathetic to this guy. And it's almost as if he understands he's got to pay this price now when Jessica comes in and saves him and makes the admission that she did it, um, that she was the one who hit Reva, that she was dead before the bus even swerved to miss her, having hit her full strength. And that's really the, the worst thing that Kilgrave can do to you is that he makes you do the thing and you're conscious of it and you retain the memory of it. This is not like amnesia or anything else 
um, though you're coerced, you're still a participant and the, the guilt and the grief remains and the, the, the discussion that they have, you know, Luke uh, alludes to the fact that they had been together and, and their intimacy, the, the hands again and everything that that's gone on there. It's, it's a tough scene, but it's a really well done scene. Oh, it's 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 wonderfully and sadly performed there out of, out of both of them. Uh, again, this notion that the hands she touched him with are the same hands that killed Riva, um, and and then with him having this full understanding of the situation, um, there's then kind of the, the 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 final hurt here. He calms down and says he was wrong. She is a piece of garbage after all, and it's it's just such a, a well written moment albeit so low because we want to agree with him at this point i mean we we know what she's guilty of we know what she's not guilty of and in this moment we're with him about her 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 being a piece of garbage and there's the transitional scene with malcolm meeting with the Kilgrave survivors group talking about how he had become a an addict and a, a liar and a thief and everything there and the idea of identity brought fully in there. Who are you? Despite what Kilgrave might do to you, what are you? And this notion that was there always a piece of him in there who was capable of that, or did Kilgrave put it there? It's a discussion, Pete, that I think lets the show have that moment outside the the gender discussion which is to say if you had a female character saying that and you're talking about you know metaphorical rape here it would not be appropriate to say was there part of me who wanted it i mean that's 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 a discussion we don't have anymore because we don't we don't we don't entertain that in terms of sexual assault but in the mix here in terms of this overall episode about consent and about what am I capable of being pushed to do and what am I capable of being forced to do, which are two separate things, it's wise that you have Malcolm being the one to say in in, in, in terms of his consent, non-consent for his drug addiction, what was what was him, what was he what was his decision or his his capability, and then what was the magic of this other person made you do it? With hope rising there, Hogarth is talking to the doctor, wants to know how much longer it's going to be, but that she wants uh, her to collect whatever she can and to deliver it to a lab at an address that she gives her. Um, Mind asking me what that's for? Of course she does. Let's keep this between us. I I assume they're going to go the, the the higher road than not on it in future episodes, and I guess we could save our discussion for it uh, at least later in this podcast, if not for future episodes. But certainly a grim and and dark proposition there on Hogarth's Hogarth's part. And to end here with uh, Jessica, um, you know, drinking, bringing up the address, the. Uh, the streets from her youth and uh, Kilgrave giving the, uh, the man who now owns her childhood home, the money. Is he happy with the deal? Yes, he is. Um, 
that the kids made a game of packing up, didn't think they'd do it. All right, leave now, (laughs) (laughs) which he does. And then, you know, again, the hands here touching the walls of the home that Jessica, this woman he's obsessed with, grew up in. And to pull back the um, wallpaper to find the notches on the wall when she was 11, 12, 13, 14, about the time her parents had the accident there. And there's this great shot out, um, woman pushing a baby carriage uh, present and then the reveal that we're on the corner of Birch Street and Higgins Drive. And I thought that that slowed Dolly out, which took longer than I think it might initially have needed to seem. It, it made us look at this this beautiful house. And I think the longer we looked at it, the more you could imagine it being your house, your childhood house. Um, kind of, You start to... Have, kind of transplant your yourself there then there is that reveal and it, it's worth that kind of slow camera movement to just really hit you in the gut to conclude the episode what suspects draw our focus in this episode pete let's start with Kilgrave. different level of menace from the character in this episode with the ultimate reveal that he's bought the house where jessica Grew up. He's uh, receiving these photos every day. When he doesn't get them, uh, the threat dangled. We'll have to see how that plays out. But uh, again, tenant, the guy for this job. And even when he doesn't use the powers in the scene with the homeowner, still coming across in a way that uh you know you you fear this character who's been called marvel's best villain to date i mean they have the right actor for this because you know when he's when he's charming he's wonderful but then there's just a malice to this guy that he can communicate quickly this from a character who's not going to be getting at least presumably the amount of screen time that that uh, Kingpin did in Daredevil, where there's going to be whole episodes surrounding him, that just kind of not, seems to not be the the thrust of it all. So you take a scene like the restaurant scene earlier in the episode, where he just yells "quiet" to everyone. It's one word to spell out anger and power over everyone, and he nails it. Uh, I mean, he he's unquestionably the perfect guy for this show. There is the bit about his backstory that uh, he had wished he had grown up somewhere so excessively normal like that home. So whatever he's got planned for Jessica with that, it's it's trying to remedy something missing for this character. Just still can't feel sympathetic for him. You can't. You can't. And it's 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 astonishing where they could go with this because this guy clearly is somebody who is who who has a long-term plan and one that that is meant to cause pain and i guess i guess we'll see where things are headed sissy garcia matt uh i think she deserves to be under our our surveillance of villains but i think that there's there's kind of a limit to her villainousness. I mean, so she got hired to do a job and she did the job. Okay, she's in prison for having done something bad. Okay, 
Uh, you know, we don't know the circumstances of that and whatnot. She certainly is a fun character. I love her attitude. I love how this actress is being given very few scenes and with them makes a big impression. Uh, so it's a net gain for us. How about uh, prison cliches, Matt? You know, don't hurt my digits, you know, because I got to keep ladies satisfied. Uh I mean, I don't know much about prison in general, let alone ladies' prison, except for that other uh, uh, Netflix show. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if I don't know if Orange Is the New Black is a proper sample size from which to judge ladies' prison, but it is a show that shows ladies loving ladies while in prison. So I'm going to assume it, uh, maybe maybe that's what you know sissy does what sissy likes to do. Well, you know who else belongs in prison is neighborhood loan shark Cirks. I really, really enjoyed him. I thought that for for an actor who is so uh, muscular that he probably does either stunt work or a lot of, you know, like bouncer number two kind of stuff on his resume. I thought he was charming. It was a charming performance from the actor. Uh, I, I buy him as... I'm a businessman who happens to be a loan shark and be doing things, you know, illegally or at least kind of on the gray market. Um, I thought he was a, he was a great addition to this episode. He was part of the reason why it didn't bother me that we had a bunch of these little characters in this episode. I really didn't care for him. He was generic mobster bearded guy and his thugs. And yeah, like I said, it's, it's a placeholder. Could have could have been anybody. Could have been any actor. Provided nothing. I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. And then, lastly, Matt, somebody we cast in a villainous light, who even uh, accepts what he's done there, but is ultimately bailed out. The MTA uh, driver, uh, Charles Wallace. I see him as guilty, but not villainous. Uh, I mean, again, if 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 the world, or at least those in the know, assume that a woman died and presumably others were hurt uh, because he was driving drunk, uh, I mean, that is unconscionable. Interesting that we're back to essentially uh, somebody with an addiction problem. So I think we're kind of in that gray area of, you know, this was not 4th of July and he had you know two six packs of beer while at the barbecue and then uh then did blank which resulted in someone being hurt or killed um i mean i don't want to i don't want to sound like too much of the bleeding heart here but after the fact this is a guy who is somebody who has lived with the quote-unquote knowledge of having killed someone and having killed someone because of his failings and this is somebody who has looked to address these failings um i don't blame him for having a family member who could cover it up. Uh, so again, I, I see him to be guilty, but not villainous. Clearly the most well-formed of the people other than Kilgrave who wound up in the, uh, the, the, uh, the bad guy section, this episode, this is an episode and this is a series where I'm reminded of having heard film and TV professionals talk about what it's like to film in New York. Um, so I'll just I'll, I'll parrot their words. Having having not having not cast multiple uh, shows personally, I can't state this as truth. But 
I've heard uh, on a number of different, uh, you know, movie commentary tracks, things of that sort, how there's just this different energy from the New York bit actor, the New York extras, uh, and whatever it might be. And I just feel like we see in this show this kind of, this kind of wonderful range of people where, I don't know, if you were going to get the same, if you're going to try and cast the same guy from some standard broadcast TV show shot in LA, it would have been like, can we find the most handsome 38 to 42 year old guy who can then say, Oh, I was an alcoholic. Like I buy Charles Wallace because of the performance of this actor who I've never seen before and who, who I don't know how esteemed he is, but I buy him as this character. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes Pete, this is certainly an episode dealing with 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 a bunch of issues. I mean, where where should we start? Where haven't we covered already? How about the object that Jessica is made to dig up here? Reva is somehow connected with it. What do you think is going on there? I don't know, and I like that in the best sense of a film noir detective story. Uh, this show is relying on that detective aesthetic to propel us forward. It feels strange sometimes because we don't know where we're going, but that's the nature of a detective story. Um, Even the fact that the fact that Jessica has known things she hasn't revealed to the audience, like immediately recognizing the picture of Reva Connors back in the first episode. um, It is an unveiling process for we, the audience um again i i kind of read that little box as as possibly a uh a thumb drive or a box holding a thumb drive so we could we could go there in terms of it being any type of information on anyone um i i feel like there are too many possibilities at least for me to speculate well what could it be why would kilgrave want it what is it that that could advance his plan because we don't really have a great handle on his plans other than that of 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 a unique sadism uh well unique sadism in general and then doubly so on jessica jones so i guess for me time will tell how about the house here with the ultimate reveal that is jessica's and you had to figure that he was either getting it to maybe try to play house with hope and their baby if he even knows about it but I think more chilling that he wants to return there with Jessica and uh, go back in some way to her youth. Oh, I, I certainly agree with the latter. I think that whatever his plan is, this is all a long game for him to get the one that got away. Uh, I imagine that he is probably somebody who has gone through life not knowing that there were other powered people out there. Um, I imagine that as, you know, the stories that have been told in, in, uh, other, uh, Marvel, you know, movies and TV shows that I imagine that as he has lived through those, it's been, oh, there's somebody who's powered. Well, that's a suit. Oh, there's somebody who's powered. Well, they're like from another place or alien or whatever. Oh, there's a guy who's super powered. Well, that was science from like the forties and it just worked this once. And that's weird. It's not powered the way he is and then you think back to that scene in a prior episode where he meets her and just says oh this is somebody who's who's you know unique like me who has abilities like me the greatest slight to him has been that she ever that she ever left so you know paging henrik gibson there 
She's she's trying to leave, and uh, he's trying to build a dollhouse for her to return. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. And Pete, what have they been saying? We have a couple of iTunes reviews here. Matt, the first one was left to the Fantastic Geek podcast um, feed. And uh, on iTunes here, this was left for us by Battle Girl Deb. And it is headlined, great podcast, five stars. And it reads, happy to see that your have started. I think she meant to say you have started this podcast and look forward to fun listening to the both of you. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. I, I, I know I know today's podcast might have been a little bit less fun, what with discussion of these weighty episodes, but uh, certainly certainly fun delving deep into the series. Second review here, Matt, was left for us by a fan of S.H.I.E.L.D. The headline is AKA Great Podcast, five stars. And it reads, I stumbled around the internet for a long time searching for an in-depth podcast on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. When I found Fantastic Geek, my search was over. Now they're covering the rock hard R Netflix show, Jessica Jones, and it's as deep as ever. They balance well between spoiler-free and informed, but when something hard to discuss comes up, they stay neutral and focus on the story at hand. Even if you binge watch the entire season of this show or Daredevil slash future Netflix shows, it's still worth going back alongside the podcast to find anything you missed upon first binge watch. Can't wait to hear the rest of your thoughts on the show. Well, certainly appreciate those kind words. Uh, certainly, in a little extra focus today, I think uh, if nothing else, it's not it's not our place to tell a fictional character how to deal with uh, her 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 situation as Hope does in this episode. We can just uh, just analyze and theorize. Uh, I'm not I'm not crawling through that TV screen to tell her how to live. Yeah, that's Donald Trump's uh, deal. <laughs> Pete, anything else there in the old mailbag? Well, we're going to draw for our uh, winner here with the giveaway. So, Matt, I'm reaching in the bag here, and I have a name. What is the name, Pete? I'm on the, I'm on the edge of my seat. I name, might fall down. <laughs> <laughs> the name is Nerdy Cowboy. It's the handle on iTunes. So we want to thank him. And uh, if he can get in touch with me here, his name is... Uh, Actually, Tony Casey. Tony, get in touch with me. Had had actually uh, let me know on uh, Facebook. He was submitting a review. And uh, yeah, uh, congratulations. Absolutely. And we'll certainly get that, uh, that uh, Netflix Marvel Jessica Jones uh, commemorative comic sent out ASAP. Actually, Pete, head into, the, uh, head into the old post office today to send out a couple things. There you go. Well, Pete... I have no seamless transition from the post office other than to say they sometimes bring gifts. And one of the greatest gifts on the internet is talking to you on the Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,790 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole bunch of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the .com, the Gmail, the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. 
facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph as we said before just another way to interact there with us if you are listening to us on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be back uh tuesday night slash wednesday morning with the uh fall finale for agents of shield uh then, of course, we'll just carry on uh, Thursdays and Sundays with uh, Jessica Jones until the conclusion of that series, uh, which, Pete, it feels like it's a far way off now, but we're, uh, what, we have seven episodes to go. We're basically halfway. Um, Agent Carter beyond that on the Pop Culture Podcast feed uh, in, uh, in January. And uh, if you listen to us just on the Jessica Jones feed, you can always uh, go to fantasticgeek.com or search iTunes for Fantastic Geek to see our other podcasts. And, of course, we'll be back with more Jessica Jones on Thursday. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Didn't I just kick your ass yesterday? Yeah.